in prayer. On last Sunday, you guys may remember that we started a sermon series. It was a two-part series between charity and social justice. And today I want to return to that text found in Luke chapter 4 and read it in your hearing. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 16. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. On last Sunday, we dived deeply into this text. We explored the context and the significance of these words lifted from Isaiah 61 by Jesus in Luke chapter 4 as he began his earthly ministry. And now today we will not engage at the same depth that we did on last week. So I do want to encourage you to go out to YouTube and to find last Sunday's message so that today's message resonates even more in your spirit. But I want to say that the passage that we just read is steeped and dripping in the language of justice. The entire Bible is saturated with the theme of justice. It is repeated from Isaiah to Micah to Amos to Luke and even to the book of James. Last week, we lifted up the babies in the water illustration to help us understand the difference between charity and social justice. But today, I want to offer us some necessary perspectives to expand our consciousness around justice, to expand our consciousness and our awareness around justice. First, we must acknowledge that we live in the context of the American culture, which widely promotes individualism. Strive for your individual education, get your new home, start your business, get your money up and get you and your household out of the hood. And when we overfocus on the individual, communal goals tend to take the back burner. When we are prompted to approach communal issues from an individual standpoint, we begin to induce language of separation, where we create this false dichotomy of us versus them, or me versus the other. And the farther we remove ourselves from the diagnosis and create a sense of blame on the other, the easier it becomes to dehumanize and devalue those we consider as other. It becomes easy to devalue and dehumanize them and not ourselves. What does it sound like to diagnose the other or them and remove ourselves from communal and social responsibility? It sounds like this. If those folks over there would just get it together, if 
if they would just save their money, they could have a better life and live like we do. But when you ignore your own social and communal um, responsibility and ignore systemic realities, you don't acknowledge that the current minimum wage is not even, even a livable wage. Do you hear me? You don't acknowledge that the current minimum wage is not even a livable wage. Once we start compartmentalizing people to other and them, it is easier for us to dismiss their plight, reduce their meaning, which ultimately makes us disregard their lived experiences. When we stay at such a low level of viewing others and viewing things in life, it is easy for us to stay in private charity, throwing dollars over the fence to them instead of repositioning ourselves to stand in solidarity with them. Solidarity. Solidarity is birthed out of love for our neighbor and a sense of interconnectedness, interdependence. There's a Zulu proverb called Ubuntu. Ubuntu that says, I am a person through other people and that my humanity is tied to your humanity. The truth is, we are all interconnected and when we truly accept this principle, the language of the other and them begins to diminish. A sense of interconnectedness must exist if we are to stand in solidarity. And in order to be in solidarity with others, you must desire a common good for all, not just you and your household. We have to shift from this American concept of individualism that seeps over in how we do life and how we do church. It is easy for those in power and with power to disregard those, uh, the plight of those who lack it. Let me say that again. It is easy for those in power and with power to disregard the plight of those who lack power. The Bible shows us how easy it was for kings and empires and governments to disregard the poor, the needy, the orphan, and the widow. That is why we find the prophets constantly using their sanctified imagination and giving us a vision of a realm where the field is level, where there is no one on the margins of society, where all are cared for, defended, and seen. Second point is that the church should be the first to model this paradigm internally and in the world. Coming off of the heels of Pentecost, I want us to look at what the post-Pentecost church looked like. And we can go to the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses 
sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This passage is permeated with a sense of Ubuntu, a sense of connection, a sense of sharing to the degree that all of the needs of this spiritual community were met, a sense of solidarity birthed out of love for one another and compelled by the coming of the Holy Spirit. What is it that causes us to leave Sunday after Sunday and go to our silos of our household because we're so focused on our individual household, our individual goals that we don't sense the needs of others in our spiritual community, in our spiritual family. Do we just care about our vacations, our kids, our husband, my dog, my cat, my bank account? I'll throw a few dollars over at the church and I'll let the pastor figure it out. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Let me help you. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. That is the individualism of the American culture that has permeated our hearts and how we try to do church. And if that's how we're going to do church, I'll tell you right now, stop the ride. Let Pastor Eva off of the ride. Let me off because that is not the image of the church that I get from the New Testament. How can we expect to walk in solidarity with those in the world without first walking in solidarity with those within our own spiritual family. When we show up and only interact with others when we need something, but we don't care about the needs of the others in that spiritual community. Many of you have come to us out of a mega church environment. That type of environment promotes a sense of show up on Sunday, give us your money, and we'll hire a staff to do the work. That is not what the post-Pentecost church looked like in the book of Acts. But that looks like capitalism. And it looks like the American culture infiltrating the church. It looks like a for-profit organization. In that model, you have no accountability, no responsibility to anybody. No interconnectedness. No solidarity. No solidarity. No one caring for the needs of others except for clergy. And the people in the pews are not empowered to care for the needs of their own spiritual community. But not here at the Firm Foundation. We aim to walk in solidarity. We recognize that we are interconnected and there ought not be a need among our spiritual family that is not shouldn't be a need amongst our spiritual family that goes unmet. And we must first model and bear witness to ourselves first before we can bear witness to the world. And so that brings me to our last and final point of the morning. All of life is worship. Write it down. All of life. Is worship. There's a clip that I will send or post in the comments later today from Reverend Dr. Lisa Weaver um, from Columbia Theological Seminary where she reminds us that all of life is worship. Worship just doesn't happen on 
Sunday morning. We come to this space on Sundays and Wednesdays to sync up, to be reminded of the vision of the kingdom of God, to be refueled, to get a new vision. But worship does not end at the benediction. Somebody say it with me. Worship does not end at the benediction. How you live your life from Monday to Friday is worship. How you treat your coworker, your boss, and your employees is worship. How you love your spouse and your children is worship. How you defend the rights of the poor and the needy is worship. All of life is worship. Type it in the chat. All of life is worship. We should live our lives as worship to God. We come to this place virtually and physically to be reminded of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Why do we have to be reminded? That's a good question. Why do we have to be reminded? Because the principles and systems of the world are at direct odds with the principles and practices of the kingdom of God. We are called to be salt and light in the world. And in order to do that, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must remember that we live in two realms. We almost live in two worlds. In one realm, that realm sustains us. One realm gives us our vision. One realm compels how we act and perform in the other. If we are to be in the world, but not of the world, we have to remember that we also live in another realm. We must understand the vision of the kingdom of God, which is not yet in the world, but is already in the other world. Many try to bring worldly principles and a worldly understanding to this body called by God, called by Christ to impact the world. But I read where it said, let God's will be done on earth as in heaven, not the other way around. We live in two realms. It is not, it is our job to bring the vision of what we know to be true into this realm, what we know to be true about the kingdom of God, all that the prophets have told us, what Jesus told us about um, the principles of God, we are to bring that into our everyday reality in the world that we are in. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We must first embody it as a spiritual family with each other, and then we can model, embody, and model it in the world. We first embody it as a spiritual family, and then we can model it in the world. We have upstream work to do in the world. Upstream work. And just like the post-Pentecost church, the post-pandemic church will not be business as usual. The Spirit of God is compelling us to do some things differently, to be more expedient for the kingdom of God. But we will seek to walk in step with the vision of heaven that calls forth justice and interconnectedness, which is rooted in love. You cannot have justice without love. You cannot have a sense of solidarity and interdependence and interconnection without first having love for God and love for your neighbor.
Love is the foundation of all that we do. Love should be the foundation of all that the church does.